Hello and welcome to episode 13 of our Staff Room Rambles podcast. My name is Chris Mayo and with me as always is Tom Rogers. Tom, how's it going? Hola. Hola, you're picking up Spanish pretty well then, I see, well done. I am, I am, I'm trying to learn, trying to learn. Are you, are you taking lessons out there or did you know any Spanish before or what's the deal? I know zero Spanish. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't study Spanish at school. Um, I know very little. I can say gracias, por favor. Uh, muy bien. So you're fitting in pretty well then? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm quintessentially British out here, Chris. <laughs> Your Spanish skills over there and my Arabic skills over here, we're doing pretty well between us, I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Good, um, so let's, uh, let's crack on. We've got quite a, quite a few things on, uh, on the agenda today, haven't we, Tom? So do you want to talk well, us yeah, Well, we haven't done a podcast for about a month, have oh, we? It's been, it's been absolutely ages, yeah. We apologise to the fans. Yeah, to all our list, all our three listeners. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, do you want me to tell you what we're talking about today? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. First things first. Um, we are going to talk about Ofsted. Boo! Yay! <laughs> Yay! We are um, because last Monday they wrote a letter to all the teachers in Swindon telling them that they were rubbish. So. Uh, we are going to discuss, are they rubbish or are Ofsted rubbish? I think you know the line that I'm going to take with this. <laughs> what I love is we've, we've produced a really sort of binary idea of what the, the options are. Uh, are teachers rubbish, yes or no? Are Ofsted rubbish, yes or no? It's going to be a fascinating discussion. Well, the precise, the precise phrase they use is, you're all failures. Yes, that's the one. Which, I mean, if you're going to inspire a group of people to work <laughs> on, that's the kind of thing you tell them. Failures, good plan. Okay, you are failing at every single level. So, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we are going to talk about a conference I went to recently called Practical Pedagogies in Toulouse, hosted by Russell Tarr. Excellent. Going to talk about what I find out in the conference. Um, some of the presentations that I saw, um, hopefully share some ideas as well that I picked up. Um, and you can talk about maybe your experience of going there last year as well. Yes. Okay. Um, and finally, we are going to talk about, uh, Tom Bennett's video, which resurfaced on the internet yesterday. It was actually published last year on consistency in the classroom as in behavior consistency. He got a lot of um, hysterical kind of uh, backlash against this video where he talks about uh, SEN and uh, uh, behavior in the classroom. So we're going to talk about that video, share a link to the video with you so you can watch it. Tell us what you think. Tweet us at Staff Room Ramble and tell us what you think of it. So that's, that's the schedule for today. Okay, sounds good then. So um, what, what do you want to start with, Tom? I'd like to start with Ofsted. Let's start with Ofsted. Let's get Ofsted out of the way. Let's get Ofsted out of the way. Right. Do you want me to read you some of the letter that they sent to these teachers first? Yeah, I think as a bit of context, that's a good way to start for people who haven't seen it. Okay. So the guy who sent the letter was uh, the, let me get this right, the Southeast Regional Director of Ofsted. Okay, so he's quite an important he guy. Important. Yes, he sounds very important. Yes, very important. And he sent this. Uh, he sent this letter out. Um, so let me read it to you. I want to hear your reaction to this, Chris. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay. Here we go. 
Um, following the inspection of Swindon Borough Council's arrangements for supporting school improvement, I'm writing to share my deepening concern over the poor performance of Swindon schools. Um, I've raised such issues in writing with the council on at least three occasions in the past. At times, the council has been, frankly, defensive in its response. I am therefore widening the audience of this letter so that no key player in Swindon schools can be in any doubt of the seriousness of the situation. In short, in 2016, Swindon's children were failed by its schools at every key stage. Okay. And then he goes on to list some data, which is being disputed. I'll talk about that um, at primary and secondary level. He then talks about a number of secondary schools, including in Swindon, uh, Ridgeway School and Sixth Form College, Churchfield Academy, the Dorkin Academy, Isambard Community School, who all dropped in their Ofsted rating up to 2016. Okay? okay. As examples. And he also talked about the fact that the exclusion rate um, was 3% above the national average for exclusions. And he cited this as a... As a um, as unacceptable and another demonstration of how poor these schools are. So, when I read this, um, my immediate reaction is it was part of this kind of failure narrative that I think Ofsted have been peddling for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And in my article, I gave the example of Christopher Russell, who's another Ofsted inspector, who went to inspect some schools in Nosley, and he said, that those schools had already failed the generation and they were set to do so for yet another generation. Very similar. They're, they're big words, aren't they, Tom? They're big words, especially for me this morning. They're very big words. <laughs> um, and they, I think that they are unrealistic as well. I don't, I don't think they reflect the reality of what is going on in those schools. So to give you an example, two of those schools, Dorkin Academy, Churchfields Academy, both of those schools, their results went up in the summer of 2016 by about 10 percentage points. Okay? So my point is, if Ofsted went back tomorrow, would they actually give them a, a better grade than what they've got now? Mm. That's my question to you. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're looking, we're using outdated uh, data in the first place to, to make these judgments on the schools anyway. Well, well, he's using, he's using the gradings from the inspection. Yeah, make, yeah, sure. He's not, he's not using anything else. He's just saying, this school's good. This school's requires improvement based on Ofsted grades. But my point, which, which I think in itself is dubious. Yeah, of course. If he's going to do that, surely he's got to use an inspection that yeah. takes into account the last set of results. You would you would hope so. Um, you'd hope so. I mean, I think from from what I've uh, I've read of this uh, this particular issue with with the Swindon schools, I, mean, I just I'm really seriously struggling to understand what is trying to be achieved by so publicly calling to question the the performance of schools and, and what it means by schools is it means head teachers, it means teachers, it means people. It's talking about people. We can talk in this really in these really faceless ways about organisations failing. But what they're saying is teachers are failing students. Now, I, I, have, I don't think I've ever been to a school in Swindon ever to, to visit. Um, but I'm pretty sure that in Swindon, there are some incredibly good schools, incredibly good teachers. Um, and there is some amazing learning taking place, probably. Um, I don't know. I haven't been, like I say. Um, but I, I just don't understand how 
such a public attack and it really does feel like an attack on you know tens and tens potentially hundreds of schools i don't understand how that is likely to spur on head teachers senior leaders classroom practitioners to become better than they already are i mean if, if there is an issue with quality of teaching let's say then surely this is not the way to approach improving that and there must be pockets or in, in you know incredible um chunks of really good practice already going on so i just i really i'm struggling to see how this is a positive step forward to help improve swindon schools well in in one of the schools because i i spoke to one of the schools and in this particular school um a geography teacher who was very experienced 20 years experience in the classroom um well respected by the students and the other staff he, he decided to demote himself to the role of cover supervisor for no other reason than he'd than he had had enough. Um, so how is that going to improve the outcomes for students? Because they love to talk about outcomes. So how is that going to improve the outcomes for students? No, absolutely not. Obviously, you want your you know your best people in front of uh, in front of children, and, and you know in, in in whatever position that that you know that they can have the biggest impact on those outcomes. So you know, I mean, if, if you woke up on what Monday morning as a teacher in Swindon and you were listening to that on the radio, the local radio on the way to work, or you read it in the paper, or you, you caught it on your phone before you left for, you know, for school, were you going to go in and have your very best day of teaching then? Were you going to say, oh, well, that's it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try harder now. I'm going to do this because someone said that, um, someone from Ofsted said that this was a big problem. Or are you going to go in that particular day, that particular week feeling, what more can I do? I'm already working 60 hours a week, maybe more. Um, I've got tons of marking to do. It's parents' evening this week. Is that really going to spur you on to, to work harder? And it, it, is working harder the thing that will make that you know this improve? I just don't think it is, and I, I can't. I can't believe, in all in all honesty, that that someone as senior as this within the Ofsted organisation took that as a as a, a sensible way forward. I understand that, that that he's saying that Ofsted have tried to engage with the local authority, who've been uh, perhaps a little bit resistant and defensive, but. I just I think to come out so publicly when school school shaming and teacher shaming is such a big problem in society anyway, particularly yeah. in, I would say in the UK, but other places I'm sure would dispute that, but I think in the UK it's a really big problem. Um, that I, I just don't see how how that from from Ofsted the, the, the organisation that's supposed to inspect schools to benchmark them against national standards. I, I don't see how laying into an entire authority in this public way is is an acceptable way to go about improving schools. I really don't think it is. Yeah, I, I, you know, I completely agree. And in, in this letter at the end, you, you, you said to me, well, what, 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 what are they saying needs to happen? Well, this person in the end calls for, in inverted commas, swift action. So what does that mean? Um, I mean, it means sacking people, surely. Well, absolutely. So his answer to this is, you're failing. My swift action is, ultimately, get rid of people. And but this, this also comes at a time of a tremendous recruitment crisis that we've talked about on this podcast before. And I'm sure every staff room up and down the country has, has, has had this conversation at some point. So we've already got a difficulty in recruiting good quality people into the profession who will stay beyond a couple of years. Um, at that point, we're, we're still talking about getting rid of people who quite possibly are doing an acceptable job. Um, and instead of supporting them, we're saying, actually, they're so bad that we need to get rid. Um, I mean, that was only implied. He didn't use those those terms directly, but we all know that's what he meant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
and, and it, it's sad it's sad because it all it, it won't i don't think it'll do anything to improve things in swindon and i've said in the article that i don't see swindon's teachers as failures i see them as heroes i don't want to sound cheesy but i do because you know at the end of the day these are people who are working in one of the most deprived areas of this country say this country not spain which is where i am um in this beautiful sunlit upland <laughs> uh, but uh but you know they're, they're teaching in our country britain uh, in one of the most deprived areas one of the most poorly funded leas there is no financial incentive for them to be there yeah. that's the first thing they're not they're not being paid more to be in swindon okay not that we're saying swindon's a bad place we love swindon but we're saying that it's a deprived area so yeah. My, my view would be the first swift action I would make is to increase the funding yeah. in Swindon. It's to give more funding per student. The second swift action I would take is to increase the pay of teachers who have stayed in Swindon for more than a certain amount of time. So if a teacher is, is valued by a school and they've been in the school for, say, a few years and the school wants to keep them, well, I think they should be given a, some kind of financial reward for staying there and that's not because Swindon's a bad place that's just because we need those teachers in in places like Swindon yeah I think there's, uh, there's a couple of really interesting things that, that stem from that I, I always remember um something that uh, there's a particular quote from Professor uh, Sagata Mitra who um who, I'm a, a big fan of his work even though I don't necessarily agree with all of the findings of his studies um one piece yeah. of work he was doing uh, in the UK um, in the Northeast about uh, self-organized learning systems which was, was really fascinating one of the things he, he looked at in terms of teachers, quality of teaching, um, a phrase that he used was that often good teachers won't go where they're needed the most. And that's for a lot of different reasons. Teachers generally, by definition, uh, are from the sort of middle classes, if we're going to use an old uh, sort of stereotype, uh, and, and quite possibly don't want to live in um, deprived areas where, you know, there are, there are socio, socioeconomic problems and you know, all of these kinds of things. So they have to either decide to commute often very long distances, um, not always for tremendously good salaries, of course. We know that that's an issue too. So I think that's something that we have to, you know, you, you call, you know, Swindon teachers heroes who are going in and doing a job in, in a tough place. Well, I mean, I, I spent a few years, five, six years working in the Bradford Local Authority where I imagine there are some similarities. Um, really, really, you know, complex, challenging circumstances that a lot of the families were in made actually teaching there really difficult. Um, well, on, the, on the flip side of that as well, and I have mentioned this in the article, in his letter, he does not mention students and parents at all at any point. No. Now, you might, argue, you might argue, well, that's not Ofsted's job to talk about students and parents. It's their job to inspect teachers. But do you not think that it's appropriate for them to at least say, well, uh, you know, teachers need the support of parents and they need uh, students who at least in some way want to learn to yeah, I think because otherwise there is absolutely no point in Ofsted taking, um, you know, making any judgments about schools without contextual information. We know that they ask for contextual information. They receive all of that data, you know, about the background of students before they enter the building. So they do take that into account or supposedly take it into account. Um, you, you know, you can't, you can't walk into a school and inspect it without knowing anything about the demographic of the, of, of the place um, and how much that actually informs their judgment. I'm not sure. But I mean, I'm pretty sure those teachers in Swindon, if you picked up every single Swindon teacher, head teacher, whatever, and put them into the Surrey local authority, 
I wonder whether those very same failing teachers would would quite quickly become quite good or outstanding teachers. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I just, I I think to call these people, you know, call these human beings failures at their professions uh, is really, really irresponsible from somebody so high up in the inspectorate. I think it's really, really damaging uh, for that local authority. And just as a, you know, as a pretext to, to other similar conversations with authorities where some students are underperforming. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's really unhelpful and really unnecessary. And also it goes back to the article I wrote last week, which was also about Ofsted, but this one was about how at the moment it seems that Ofsted are only judging schools based on exam outcomes. My, my feeling is that uh, we need to look at all the standards um, not just exam results. We need to look at all the standards and actually say all the standards are equal. And I also think that we should put teacher well-being in there as well as a standard. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I feel as though, you know, I know some people disagree with me on this. I know uh, Michael Tidd described me as bonkers, or not me as bonkers, but my article as bonkers, um, because I was saying that I thought that teacher well-being should be inspected. So, for example, I said things like. Uh, when Ofsted go into a school, they should look at how long staff stay there for. So retention rates in the school. So they should say, right, how happy are the staff in this school? How long does staff stay in this school? What is a healthy turnover of staff? Uh, They should maybe consider exit interviews, uh, anonymous exit interviews, and say that schools need to do the, I mean, they should be doing them anyway. But what could happen is they're anonymous and then Ofsted uh, look at them and actually seriously and say, right, no, this teacher has left because of X, Y, or Z, right? And start to build up a picture for that particular standard. At the moment, I get the feeling that we've got all these standards. One of them is outcomes. And within that outcome standard, you have a lot that obviously it centers a lot on results. I believe that that trumps everything else. I believe that if a school has three or four goods in other areas, so leadership management, uh, safeguarding, behavior, you know, whatever, I believe that if, they, if, the, if in Ofsted's eyes they aren't good enough in outcomes, they will fail the inspection. It doesn't matter what the others are. I don't think that's right. I also think that teacher well-being should be in there because I believe that the biggest reason for the problems we have is teacher well-being. I, I, saw, I saw an article in Tez just yesterday saying that, um, that Ofsted should inspect student well-being. Well, what about teacher well-being? Yep. I think that's really interesting, actually. and It, it reminds me very much of... Um, uh, a training inset thing that I attended many, many years ago now, and I, I honestly can't remember who who um, was was delivering the training, but it was in uh, it was in school, and I remember one line that they that they that they used, which was sort of stuck with me ever since. So that she often used to train people and, uh, and schools and try and get them to focus their attention on improving um, uh, the, the well-being of students, so that they would make better progress. And she said, actually, instead of doing that, what she now does is tries to approach the situation from um, dealing with staff well-being first and actually to make staff happy and productive. Because by working on that group of people, which is obviously a significantly smaller group than the students in school, that's the thing that will make the biggest impact on the, the well-being and the performance of students. If you've got 100 staff in your school who are really happy and motivated and feel looked after and feel cared for, that's bound to disseminate down to the students. Whereas actually starting with the students and trying to work backwards is really difficult because you might have hundreds or thousands of them. Um, and I just thought it was a really interesting way of, of focusing her professional development on the welfare and well-being of staff 
um, as a as a way of, of of dealing with pupil progress. And I just thought that was quite an interesting look at, yeah. uh, look at that. Oh, well, one one leads to another, doesn't it? Precisely, um, and it's just trying to work out whether or not you know. I mean, obviously, ultimately, we're looking at outcomes for students. We're looking at students to make progress. But if you if you have a happy and cared for staff, chances are your students will will, will be happier and more likely to make progress too. Um, I think that's a I think there's a pretty obvious link there, isn't it? Yeah, you. I, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's common sense. But I suppose my argument is I want to take it further. I I actually want it included in the offset standards because I think talking is just talking. You know, I think tweeting about things and me writing these articles. Yeah, it's great, but I'd like to see something actually happen. And I, th- I think one of the things at the moment is this. Uh, it, it's too dependent on a school to school basis, isn't it? You get some some head teachers and and governing bodies that are really keen on promoting. Um, well-being for staff and you know there are people you know in charge of pots of money to give you know members of staff half a day off here and you know for shopping days for Christmas and trying to reduce uh, marking and feedback policies and all these kinds of things where there's a real focus on it and other places where it's just never discussed and it, it seems to be too individualized at the moment school by school where head teachers and, and and other senior leaders have perhaps too much influence on whether or not teacher well-being is taken seriously or not yeah Hundred percent agree with you. Hundred percent agree with you. Um, so anyway, so that 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 was that. That was Ofsted, the Swindon letter, as I'm going to call it. Um, and, and I'm sure there will be other letters uh, very similar uh, as there have been in the past, and I'm sure there will be in the future. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So let's move on. Uh, something a bit brighter. Practical pedagogies. Yes. Now I have to start with a confession here. I'm incredibly jealous that you got to go. Um, I, I did attend uh, last year's event, um, but work commitments meant I couldn't go this year. So, um, so t- yeah, tell us a bit about it for people who don't know anything about the conference. Uh, talk us through uh, what it's about and, and what you did. Okay, so basically, it's a big two-day event. Um, it's an inter. It's it's. I mean, mainly the people there are international teachers from different international schools, but it's basically about sharing teaching and learning practice, similar to what you'd probably find at a teach meet. But obviously, it's more a conference environment. It's held at the International School of Toulouse. Um, it's organised by Russell Tarr, who you can follow on Twitter. He's a history teacher in in France. Um, and there was about 250 teachers there, um, uh, including my good self. Um, and it was really, really good. Um, I was lucky enough to present with Russell um, on the Thursday about being a teacherpreneur um, and how to, uh, I don't like to use the phrase making money, but you know, but at the end of the day, make extra money as a teacher, um, the different ways that you can do that. Um, and I suppose talking about how teacher's time is worth something, I suppose, was also the premise of our presentation. Um, and yeah, we had some really fantastic feedback on, on that, which I've seen, so that was fantastic. Uh, it was really interesting as well to hear Russell's journey with his website, Active History. Um, I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this because he said it in the presentation. You know, he, he makes a lot of money through his advertising and other things through his website. And it was really interesting to hear how he does that and the ways in which he does that. Um, and I think everybody there was really, you know, really enthralled by, uh, by what was being said. So that was fantastic. Um, and, and to be asked to present with Russell, well, that's an honor in itself, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it was that. Um, also, there was a keynote presentation by Ewan McIntosh on school visions, which, which was really good. That started the Thursday off. 
And then following on from there, I went to a whole range of other presentations. So Carol Stobbs sharing teaching and learning ideas for the history classroom, um, Flip the System with JL and Honey Pie Squared, uh, where they were talking about their project, Flip the System. There's a book coming out soon on that, which is about how to change UK schools from the inside, um, how to start a grassroots movement for change in terms of dealing with the problems that we've, some of the problems we've just discussed, workload, teacher well-being, you know, the recruitment retention crisis, all of those things in a kind of non-conventional way. Um, I mean, you can visit their website for more information on that, but that was really interesting to have a good discussion about that. I met loads of really great people that I followed on Twitter for a while that, um, but I hadn't met in person and they're really great people. So I met Pete Sanderson, mm -hmm. uh, I met Naomi Roberts, I met um, Neil Atkin, who's an absolute character. Yeah, sure he um, Absolute character. Really good chat with him. So, yeah, so it was all in all, it was a fantastic event. And um, it was really worth going to because to get there, I had to get about two flights and a bus uh, <laughs> there and two flights and a bus back. So, it was, um, yeah, it was interesting getting there and back, but it was good. It was really good. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I like I say, I'm, I'm incredibly jealous because I, I went last year, which was the last year was the first uh, conference, and and often when you go to the, the first of something that's on quite a big scale like that, you you, you can see there are some organisational kinks perhaps and things not quite ironed out. But it was the very first one, and, it, and there was none of that at all. It was it was smoothly run, professionally run, but um, and often at events that are that smooth and slick. Um, they're not always that much fun. They can be quite dry, but it was just again the, first, the very first conference. It was just it was so so much fun. There were so many really great people there, uh, literally hundreds of people from foundation stage, you know, right through to key stage five, um, just sharing good ideas, and it was so positive and so well organized. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I mean, I don't, did, he, did he mention anything about um, a conference next year? Because the last time I spoke to him, he was, he no. was you know, uh, maybe one year on, one one year off. Or yeah, I think, I think he's looking at. I think he's looking at one every two years at the moment. Yeah, I, I think, think that's, it's, the, that's the plan. <clears throat> but definitely, I mean, have a look at the website. I mean, there are, there are so many things. We'll, we'll stick a link in the show notes. And um, also, you get all the presentations for free as well. Um, yeah, he's uploading those onto his onto the website. So I don't know if they're available yet, but they will be. Yeah. So I mean, it's, I mean, there are so many things. If you're interested in, you know curriculum design if you're interested in a specific subject area if it's behavior if it's assessment for learning something will be there that would that happened at the conference it was it's one of those things isn't it where there are more things you want to see than you could possibly ever fit into the, to the two days that you're there so uh, yeah great great event and well done to russell and the team obviously for two successful years definitely definitely um okay final final discussion point uh yes which is uh the consistency video and I think I'm going to maybe let you start on this one. <laughs> I, that's good. That's very good of you. Thanks. Um, well, um, our very good friend, Tom Bennett, of course. Um, uh, what, should we, what should we call him? What, what do we, we behaviours are? Are we going for that? Um, because, uh, this, is, this is a video that, uh, that's been around for just over a year now uh, on the test behaviour um, section of the resource site. Um, basically talking about consistency in the classroom. Now we've talked about this briefly on the podcast before, several months ago. Um, so it's kind of revisiting that a little bit, I guess. Um, and he's talking about the, the need for um, a consistency of approach when dealing with behavior in the classroom, regardless of students' potential SEN needs, for, you know, for example. 
Uh, which I think is, generally speaking, completely fine. And I totally agree that consistency of approach is really important. In fact, just last Saturday, I was in school um, in our theatre with all of our teachers and co-teachers and talking to them about the consistency of their behaviour and the consistency of their approach when dealing with behaviour in the classroom. So I completely, 100% agree with the premise. However... Um, this is perhaps where you and I might differ in our uh, approach slightly. I do think that there are occasions, rare ones, you know, probably, but occasions where being consistent with every single individual in a particular class can be very, very challenging. And actually, it is to the benefit of some individual students with particular behavior problems, perhaps with particular medical issues, um, to deviate from a school behavior policy and work on something that is slightly more individualized. Now, one of the things Tom talks about in the video is that actually doing that is very challenging for other children in the class who just don't understand why they're being treated differently. And actually, in, in many cases that I've um, been involved in the past in schools where this, this uh, idea of a slightly split approach has been the case, Often students do understand what the problem is. We, we often do know if, if there is a child who has a particular medical need that is slightly different to other people's. You know, they are, often are quite sympathetic to the fact that other people do exist. I understand the potential for causing conflict between students, but I, I do think, I mean, he uses one example in the video of, you know, okay, an exception being if, if, if a child has something like Tourette's syndrome, which I think is relatively rare, but of course is a defined and known problem. Well, okay, if we're making an exception for that, then surely there must be a case to be argued for other potential medical uh, needs to be lumped in with the same kind of idea. So, okay, we, uh, there's a big prevalence of things like ADHD, and some of that is, is perhaps real and perhaps some of that's imagined. But if we're suggesting that there is one reason uh, for making an exception, then surely there might be others too. I mean, I'm not a medical professional, so, you know, I don't know, but... That's where I'm at with it, really. I think, I think generally it seems like the right thing, but I think there are some exceptions. I see the point you're making. Um, I agree with it to a point, but I also think that I agree with what Tom's saying more in the sense that I think that you need to have high expectations on behaviour for all students now i take your point in that different students might respond to those expectations differently but i i'm not sure if i mean it's a very difficult one isn't it it's an absolute minefield um but i think the point i've made before is that um you know i i i broadly agree with this whole no excuses um behavior theory that's kind of out there with Michaela school and other schools who are following it this kind of idea of no excuses discipline I I, I broadly agree with that uh, the reasons for that are that I feel that there are, there are uh, a lot of problems with behavior in the UK in the system I I don't know if we are tackling those at the moment the way that we could as a society and as an education system um, and, I, and I think that having no excuses discipline in a school could, could work in that way. Whether you, whether you allow 
certain students to opt out from that based on special educational needs is another question altogether. Yeah, uh, I think, but I think I, I would suggest that rather than it being allowing students to opt out, it's to be creating a behavior system in the first place that works for every single child. And I think that means that there has to be some flexibility within it. You know, we, we can't ignore that people have certain needs that are beyond what the majority yeah. of people in a school have. I mean, for example, I mean, I'm going to use a deliberately ridiculous example here now, but let's say in a class of 20, 25, 30, 35, whatever students, um, one of those children is in a, in a wheelchair, which we know there are many students in the UK who have physical mm. abilities that require them to use assistance such as a wheelchair. Well, you wouldn't yeah. be shouting at them for not taking part in the 100 meter relay, would you? Like you, you wouldn't. That wouldn't be something that was, you'd make an obvious exception. Yeah, but that's a, cl that's a class activity. It's right. not, it okay, okay. But what I'm suggesting is you, you, what you are changing the way that the school works. That, that person is not opting out of the PE lesson. They are, we are meeting their needs in a different way because they have a physical disability. And I'm suggesting that there are some medical needs that exist that are not quite so easy to see that maybe therefore teachers and senior leaders don't understand as well. And people like Tom Bennett would say perhaps don't even exist. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think that, that we can discount things that, that, that most medical professionals will tell you do exist just because we have, we're going for this whole school consistency approach. There has to be a level of flexibility to take into account people who cannot access that for whatever particular reason. And that's not people, you know, that's not about low level disruption. It's not, a, it's not necessarily about people just not paying attention. You know, the, most, most students at some time or other will switch off from something and disengage and have to be brought back into line by, a, you know. A but, but, my, but my point is here, Chris, and my question to you is, do students make choices? Well, of, of course you're, they you're saying that You're saying that sometimes they don't. They literally well, just... But if you're... If you're if you're because, of, because of a problem. Well, if you're accepting, yeah, of course, because if you're accepting Tom Bennett's argument that, that something like Tourette's syndrome would be a, a reasonable exception to this, and I mean, I don't know if you are accepting that, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption that you do, um, but if you do accept that, that what I'm suggesting is that they, that cannot be, that is, it's a very yeah, unknown, the only one, yeah. only yeah. single thing that students are not in control of. If they can't control whether or not expletives occasionally come out of their mouths, and there must be other medical conditions um, mm. that mean that students are not fully in control of their behavior. So do students make choices? Yes, they do. They make them all of the time. But do they have 100% agency over what it is that they're doing all of the time? I don't, I don't believe yeah. some of them do. I agree with that. Uh, I do. Uh, unfortunately, I hate agreeing <laughs> with you. I, I do. <laughs> But I mean, I, I think it's really, I think it's really important that the absolute, that the basis for this about consistency of approach in the classroom, and this is, we're talking about 99.99% of the time, maybe even more than that, where, where this is what we're going for. And, you know, in my particular school here in, here in Egypt, this is something that we're still working really hard, you know, to achieve. And, it, and it's consistency of adult behavior, as well as consistency of student behavior that we have to be really keep clear with here. If, I mean, a lot of the time, students are put in positions by their teachers where they don't know how to behave because in one lesson it's very different to the other lesson to the other lesson and they might have to have you know five or six different um, approaches to the way in which they behave in their lessons in any given day and I think working on teacher consistency behavior consistency of teacher behavior and other adults behavior is just as important here as focusing on what we expect from children in the classroom um, I think that's something that we really need to focus on in, in schools yeah 
Yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Anything you've said, I think you, you're right. I, I, it's a difficult. I, I don't, you know, I don't agree or disagree with either. I, I just think I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I think it's a really difficult one. Really difficult one. I, I think, but I think it relates very, very similar to to the thing we were talking about with with Ofsted and Swindon in terms of basically what the, the Swindon um, Ofsted argument amounts to is that that you know they, they want they want them to to have this kind of um, no excuse culture, right? Um, you know, it's it's about that. Okay, your kids might come from a tough area, but that's not enough. We can't fail them, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think this is this is the same kind of idea. It's about let's have no excuses for poor behaviour. Well, yeah, okay, let's have no excuses for poor behaviour, but we do have to take into account the human being that is sat in front of us, and and the majority of the time we can make no excuses for their behaviour. But sometimes, you know, what the, there are exceptions. There just are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're pretty fired up about that. Well, Christoph. you know what I'm like. Anything that in, involves Tom Bennett is going to be an interesting discussion, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I, I like most of what he says. So I that's, know. That's the concept. I know. <laughs> anyway. All right. So um, I think that's it for this week, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I think we, we just wanted to, before we finished, give a shout out to a couple of our uh, podcast rivals, did we not? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so just a quick rundown of some uh, some podcasts that are appearing from all angles. So you've got the Ed Fi- the new Ed Files podcast with David and Alex, which uh, they've done two episodes so far. Um, I've listened to some of it. It sounds really cool. So it's worth a listen. Uh, we'll post a link to that in the show notes, will we, Chris? We certainly will. Yes. Um, also, there's the NQT Life podcast by Steph um, who uh, this podcast is obviously aimed at NQTs it's trying to support them in their practice try to give them hints and tips on how to get better it's obviously completely free it's available through our website Um, so again we'll post a link in the show notes to Steph's podcast and the final one is the podcast that actually started shortly after our own which is now incredibly popular which is the EdTech podcast with Sophie so if you want to Maybe follow Sophie Bailey on Twitter or find EdTech Podcast on Twitter. You can follow it through there. Um, and again, that's obviously aimed at the educational technology sector. So your kind of thing, Chris, you know, like playing with SNES consoles. And, <laughs> playing um, with the SNES. Whilst, whilst picking your nose, you know, that kind of thing. That's the one. I'm more of a ZX Spectrum kind of guy, but okay. 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 <laughs> good. Um, all right, then. Well, they, they, yeah, they said they sound pretty good. Uh, do check them out. Uh, obviously, for every other podcast you listen to, make sure you uh, recommend ours to other people too, please. Thanks very much. Um, and uh, speaking of, uh, we can be found on Twitter at Staff Room Rumble. Uh, so please do spread the words. Um, we are- and iTunes. Sorry? And iTunes. And iTunes. We are now finally on iTunes. So if you search for Staff Room Rambles on iTunes, you will find us now. Um, so that obviously, if you subscribe, then when a new podcast does arrive, it will just uh, seamlessly download to your device. So that's probably a good way to, to keep in touch with us. Um, uh, and otherwise, we can be followed on Twitter at Rogers History and at Chris Mayo. So thank you very much indeed for listening. We'll hopefully be back in a much shorter space of time than our, our last break. Um, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.